So today we are continuing on in our series. I'll give us sort of a little bit of a refresher. Just last week we started a new sermon series and we're looking at the church. And we're really doing this from a biblical perspective and saying, really, what should the church be? What should the church look like? What, what should church life look like? And looking at this, as I mentioned, from a biblical perspective, not from the perspective of sort of tradition and sort of, you know, all too often in, in churches, we can sort of just go through the motions of doing what we've done. And we do it because that's the way it's been done for decades and decades. And so not looking at things from a tradition perspective of, well, we do things as a church and operate in these ways as a church, because that's how the evangelical church in America has done things for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But say, no, let, let's really take a look at scripture and say, you know, what should the church be? What should the church look like? As we live out our, our community life as a church, what does that look like? And so that's what we're doing in this sermon series. And today what we're going to be talking about and sort of really zooming in on, focusing on, is the reality that the church is a family. The church truly is a spiritual family, just as you think of sort of your own biological family, you know, you think of yourself and, and your spouse, and you have kids, and you have your immediate family, but then you might have, you know, as well, your extended family, you got your cousins and aunts and uncles and so forth. Certainly, yes, we have a, a biological family, but the reality is that we also have a true spiritual family, and that's what the church is. And I think oftentimes, I'd say certainly we intellectually know this, you know, probably for most of us, we'd be thinking right now, you know, yeah, you know, I understand that, Pastor Steve, I get that the church is truly a spiritual family. I've, I've read about that in scripture, you know, uh, I've heard sermons on that. But I think oftentimes the way we operate is maybe not so much in light of that. And again, I'm not trying to say just New Hope Chapel, but sort of if we kind of look at your typical American church, I'd say... Uh, your reality for your typical American church is understanding that they are truly a spiritual family in Christ, but then practically speaking, they're sort of, they operate as good friends, or maybe even at times, if you think about particularly, maybe as you get to bigger churches and you really just don't even know that many people in your church, you're sort of pleasant acquaintances and you walk into church and you wave and you smile, but you're not really this tight-knit family where you really, you know, you know one another well, you're engaged in one another's lives and so forth. You know, the, the extent of sort of love that's shown toward others. Uh, so often in the life of the church, at least in our country, the American evangelical church, it doesn't necessarily look like a family. It looks sort of like good friends. And I think that that's sort of the reality if we're going to be honest with things. And I want us to take a look at, and recognize, look at scripture, and we're going to do this, that we truly are a family. That's what we are in Christ. And, and then sort of look at, well, what does that look like? Sort of what are the characteristics of a family? It's certainly true for a biological family, but, but even speaking of, of sort of the spiritual family that we are in Christ, what does that look like? What are the characteristics that, that we ought to see lived out as a spiritual family? And so we're going to really look at scripture, dig deep here, and, and see what, what God's word has to say about this matter. We're the church. We're a family. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we live that out in our daily lives? And so I want us to turn first to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 22. And I'll read this for us. So Paul writing here, and he's writing to the Ephesian church, and, and here's what he says, starting at verse 11. He says, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. 
So here he's speaking to the Ephesian church. I want us to understand the context a little bit, what's going on here, what's being said. And the Ephesian Christians here are, are overwhelmingly Gentile believers, Gentile Christians. It's not to say that you couldn't have sort of a scattered Jewish believer here or there, but overwhelmingly they're, they're Gentiles. And so he's speaking to them in that way, understanding they're Gentile believers and speaking to, to them in that regard. So that's why he says, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. Again, maybe one or two Jews, but predominantly, you know, overwhelmingly Gentiles. Called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. What is he speaking of here when he says, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility? He's saying, here you have these two groups. You got your Jews, you got your Gentiles. And sort of naturally what was the case, you know, before Christ was sort of they were at odds. There was hostility, right? Different cultures, different, different religions, views, etc. Sort of different, really seemingly in every way, and, and were hostile towards one another at, at odds two very different and distinct groups. And yet what he says here is that, right, for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. So now you have these two groups, but they've been made one in Christ, right? We have one body of Christ, one church. So you have here these two groups who've now been united as, as one singular unit and group. And even if you wanted to go further than this, this is certainly true, though here Paul's emphasizing the sort of distinction of Gentile and Jew, you can think of any point of diversity or distinction, whether it's male and female, white, black, you pick your ethnicity, pick your race, you know, any point of distinction, whether there were people who were, and certainly there were slaves, some who were free, on and on and on. There were all sorts of points of diversity, and yet all these many diverse people have been made one in Christ. They have been united, brought together in one body. These many members are one in Christ. There's one body. There's this unity within the body of Christ. He says, yes, before you were these two groups, you were at odds, Jews, Gentiles, but now one in Christ. And certainly this is a core attribute of a family, if we think about it. Just sort of think of what is a family. Well, you have these numerous members who are united into a singular unit. You have, you know, you got your mom and your dad and your kids. Again, even if you want to go further out into sort of extended family, you have many members, but they are brought together and united into this singular unit, right? And they operate in life as sort of a unit. Yeah, they're different people, many members, but sort of brought together and united as one unit, the family. And that's true for the church as well. Many members, some Jews, some Gentiles, so forth and so on, slave-free, male, female, on and on, but brought together, united into this same, this one singular body of Christ, the church. And he's going to continue to sort of reaffirm what he, he just said here. So he says, in his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man, sort of one people, speaking of the church, it's not like a one man, one person, but sort of one people, that's the sense of what's meant, one church, one body, right, that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. Again, he's just sort of reiterating this. Yep, you have your Jews and your Gentiles, two people, but he's united them, brought them together, of course, in Christ. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God, right, Jews and Gentiles, in one body, here speaking of one body, the church, right, reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. 
He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. I'll come back to that, but I want to finish the passage. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So I want to come back to verse 19. Let me read it again. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. This is the language of family, members of God's household. That, that's what's being said, right? There is the family of faith, God's family, spiritual family, right? And we're members of it. We're brothers and sisters, and that language is all throughout Scripture. If you think of sort of this familial language, it's everywhere. God's our Father, right, the language of family. We're his children all over the place, right? We're called brothers or brothers and sisters. It's just sort of the whole of Scripture just sort of oozes with that familial language. It's all over the place because we truly are a family, a true spiritual family, the family of faith, and it's God's family. We are members of of God's household. And so here stated very explicitly that we are indeed a family. The church is a family. We are truly brothers and sisters, and we have a heavenly father, of course, and we are his children. And again, as we think of this, this family that, that sort of explicitly stated here that we as a church truly are a family, truly are a, a spiritual family in Christ, I, I want to come back and emphasize this idea of unity. Again, if you think of the idea of a family to the core, unity is one of those fundamental attributes and characteristics of it. The whole idea is various members, numerous members, being united together and being one unit. That's sort of the whole concept of a family. Now, you can have families, biologically speaking, where sort of you're tied biologically. I get that you can marry into a family, but sort of fundamentally, sort of biologically speaking. And so you have, you know, your husband, wife, and kids, and so forth, and extended. But there are many members, but united together as a unit. And again, that's what's going on here in regard to the church. You have all of these people, right, from various backgrounds, you know, Jews, Gentiles, Paul's emphasizing here, but you can think of any point of, of diversity and distinction, right? And yet they're all brought together. These many members are made one. They are, they are united together into a single unit, a single family unit, spiritual family unit, the body of Christ, right? And they, that happens, of course, in Christ, that they are made one spiritual family in the Lord. And that is a fundamental attribute of the church, of the church as a family, this unity. And so we are united together as a family, but the reality is, is that all too often that's not what's exhibited. That's sort of not the way the church operates and lives out its church life. So we are truly united. That's the reality of it. We're united uh, as the family of faith. We have been brought together in Christ and are united as one body, but all too often we don't then live in light of that. Uh, that's just the reality. And in fact, we see that in the next passage we're going to read, 1 Corinthians, and this is chapter 1, verse 10. Paul's writing here, just as he was in our prior passage. And, and I'll sort of set the context here for, for this passage, 1 Corinthians 1, 10. What, what has happened, what Paul is writing about here is in the Corinthian church, even though they're united in Christ, they're not really living in any sort of united way. In fact, all sorts of division has arisen. There are sort of factions forming within the church. Everyone's in disagreement, at odds with one another. It's sort of the complete opposite of unity. So even though fundamentally they are united in Christ, they're not living in light of that. They're not living that out. But there's, there's in fact, discord, disunity, not unity. 
And Paul speaks into that situation, and here's what he says. I appeal to you, brothers. There we have that familial language again that we see all over the, the place. I appeal to you, brothers. And this is the language of very strong urging and, and pleading. I appeal to you. I urge you. I plead with you. Right? I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Right? In a sense, to, to sum it up, here's sort of what Paul's saying is, you know, you guys are the church. You're, you're one body. You, you are to be united. Indeed, you know, fundamentally, you are united in Christ. You are one body. Many members united together into one body, and yet you're not being, you're not living in light of that. You're not acting as a united body, but instead there's divisions all over the place. There's discord, there's disagreement, there's strife, there's just division on, on every level. And he says that's just not what it should look like in the church. The church is united and should live in light of that and live out unity. And so he says, right, so agree with one another. Let there be no divisions among you, right? But rather, he says, I appeal to you that, that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. Paul wants to see unity in the church. It's just sort of what, what naturally there should be in the church, since we are fundamentally united together as one body in Christ. And I'd say here at New Hope Chapel, we, we've been blessed with unity. I, I don't feel like in my tenure here, my seven plus years here, that there's been all sorts of division on all, all sorts of things, uh, by no means. But the reality is, 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 you know, the enemy loves to attack the church and wants to, to seek to bring division in the church. And even churches that might seem healthy and they have unity all too easily, sort of one little issue, all too often you see even in churches, it's like it's, it's often over some small matter. It's sort of of no great significance, and yet people have different views about it. And all of a sudden, sides are forming in factions, and they're all at odds with one another. And then before you know it, you have this church that was once united, and now it's literally splitting into two. And half of the church is moving down the road and starting their own church. And, and, and that happens all too often. We all hear the stories of it, and it can just be a reality in, in the life of the church. And so even when things are good, we need to realize we've got to be on guard against, against division and discord and disunity and really be prioritizing unity in the life of the church. And so I'd say things are going well, but still, we should be on guard. We should say, hey, we're to be a united family, not a divided family, right? That's what it looks like to be part of the family of faith. There should be unity, and that should be guarded in the life of the church. As I think of the church as a family, not that we're going to hit every single characteristic of, of, of a family, every attribute, you know, you could certainly go on and on and preach many sermons, do a whole series just on this and sort of what a family looks like, what it looks like for, for the church to, to live out being, you know, a family of faith. So I'll, I'll hit some of the high points. I'm not going to touch on everything. Uh, but one of the things that I think of is I think of just families in general, but this certainly applies to, to the church as a spiritual family is that families are a place of belonging. It's sort of home. It's where you fit in, right? It's a place where you're not sort of an outsider and an outcast and some sort of stranger. I understand someone might think, well, not all families are healthy and there are families that are broken and so forth. I get that reality. But sort of what a family should be is a place where it's sort of you belong. That's your home. That's where you fit in. That's where there's this sense of belongingness. You know, maybe you feel like you go out in the world and it's like, you know, I don't fit in with these people. I don't fit in with them. I don't, you know, I just, I just feel like an outcast. But you go home and it's sort of, this is my family. This is where I belong. This is my home. And that's the reality for, for the church, too, as a spiritual family. And in fact, I'm going to go back to our Ephesians passage that, that speaks to this idea that the church as a family is a place of belongingness. It's, it's naturally our home as God's people, as members of this family. 
So verse 19, we're reading Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to verse 19. And it says, So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints. Right? The, the reality of this, of us being fellow citizens, thinking of, of the church, that we are fellow citizens and, and citizens of, of God's kingdom, right? Our citizenship, it's not of this world. I mean, yes, you could think on some level, I'm an American citizen. I was born here. I have certain rights and privileges and so forth. But sort of fundamentally, our citizenship, our belongingness, we're, we're sort of our natural membership is not of this world, but we have a heavenly citizenship, right? Our, our natural citizenship is God's people, as part of the church, is, is in his kingdom. It's with him, and it's with his people. We are fellow citizens, right? The language here isn't just we're citizens, but we're fellow citizens with the saints. We, we are brought together into this fellow citizenship, each and every one of us, the church, uni united together as God's people, and we are fellow citizens in God's kingdom. And that's sort of naturally our place of belonging. As we think of the church, as we think of this family of faith, this is, this, as we think of the language of citizenship, it's, it's naturally the language of sort of what, where you belong, where you fit in, who your people are, right? Where is home for you? It also has the language, it sort of brings to mind the idea of sort of certain natural rights and privileges that come by being a citizen or certain duties as well. But certainly very much a part of the language of citizenship is sort of, they're your people. That's where you belong. That's your home. Uh, that's, that's where there's belongingness for you. And that's the reality for us. Our belongingness, our, our, our home is with the Lord, right? We are fellow citizens together. Our natural place of home is with the Lord in his kingdom and with his people, with our fellow citizens. And so we have this place of belonging. It's a natural attribute of, of a family. It's just sort of a place that's home. It's a place where you belong. And thinking of our spiritual family of faith, the church is a place where we sort of fit in. We belong. It's, it's our home, right? That, that's the reality of it. And, and the reality is, as followers of the Lord, we very much are not at home in the rest of the world, right? As we think of, we go outside of the walls of the church, as we go outside of this church community, we really are strangers. We really are exiles. This world is not naturally our home. But what a wondrous joy and a blessing that we do have a place that we can call home, that we do have a place where we really do belong. And it's with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's in the church. It's in the family of faith. It's with the Lord. It's in his kingdom. And as I think of this idea of belongingness, the reality is it's something that sort of cuts to the core of the human sort of longing, what we desire. I don't think that there's a human out there who feels like, I don't want to belong anywhere. I just, I want to be an outcast everywhere I go. I don't want to have a place to call home. I, I can't say I've met of someone who sort of thinks that way, but sort of what's very much natural to us in our humanness is to say, we, we want to have some sort of community. We want to have a place where we feel like, these are my people. This, this is home to me. This is where I fit in. This is where I belong. And, and I'm not saying that it's just true for Christians that we feel that way, but, but all of mankind, that's sort of the way we were made. We were made to to be in community, and so we naturally look for a community to be a part of and to belong to. And I'd say that there's this deep yearning and craving in, in human society for that place to belong. And just what a joy, what a, what a privilege, what a great gift that we have this wondrous, glorious place where we do belong. The church, with the Lord, with his people, in this wonderful family, this spiritual family, that we have that wondrous place to belong. But I want to now speak to another natural attribute of, of a family. And again, this goes for, for biological families. This goes for the spiritual family of faith. But a natural characteristic is that of fellowship. 
It's not like if you think of a family that, well, oh, we're united together, many members brought together into a, into a singular unit, but then we all just live our lives on our private little islands. You know, husband does his own thing, never really interacts with wife. The kids are all on their own, and they, they never hang out with one, one another. That's not the reality. The reality of a family is that there's, there's very much a sense of community. They live life together. Again, parents, children, you know, you think of your family unit, even as you extend into extended family, there's still sort of that mindset, even if not to the same extent, but, but it's a place of fellowship. It's a place of community. You don't, in a family, just sort of maintain complete separateness from one another and have nothing to do with one another, but rather you live in that community and, of course, you, you have fellowship. And that goes for the family of faith as well, for our spiritual family in Christ. Certainly, it is to be a place that's characterized by fellowship, where we're not sort of saying, I'm just going to do my own thing over here. You do your own thing over there. We'll never really see one another engage in life together. No, we'll just live our separate lives, right? We shouldn't be doing that as the church, but we need to realize we're a family. And part of what a family does is live together, live in community together, to, to live out fellowship together. And I want to read uh, from Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, that, that certainly highlights this. And this is speaking of here, that early church there in Jerusalem. And uh, here's what it says, describing that church. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So already we see here this, this prioritization, devoting themselves to fellowship. That This was sort of part of what the church was to do as, as a true family, a true spiritual family. Fellowship, living in community together is just naturally something that should happen. And they really, truly took that seriously and lived it out. But we continue to see this mention, this idea of fellowship and living life together as we continue to read through this passage. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, right? Notice it doesn't say all the believers were apart and they sort of did their own thing. They didn't have anything to do with one another. No, they were together. They lived life together. And again, as we continue to read this, you're going to continue to see this as we read the next few, few verses. But everything they did, they did as a family. They did as, as a community. They engaged in profound, significant fellowship with one another. So it says all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, right? So when it came time to, to worship and they went up to the temple to worship the Lord, they didn't do so separately on their own. Again, sort of each man's his own island doing his own thing. No, they did it together. They engaged in this together. They lived life in community. They fellowshiped with one another. So every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Again, they, they broke bread in their homes and ate together. This was something that was a priority. It's not like we just are going to all go our separate ways. We'll meet, we'll meet once a week on Sunday mornings, but then like we scatter to the winds and we all do our own thing and have nothing to do with one another. One another. But no, they were regularly engaging in life with one another and just fellowshipping with one another as a family ought to. So they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So again, this is just part of what it is to be a family, any type of family, biological, the spiritual family of faith. It's just, it should be characterized by fellowship. And that goes for the church. If we're going to be a family, we need to live life together in community and be fellowshipping with one another. And I'd say certainly at least by 
sort of Western standards, American standards, I'd say New Hope Chapel's doing great. We're much better than your typical American church. I think if you're going to try to be fair and say, well, what is your typical American church life, uh, church like? What is sort of the community life like? The reality is, for most, this isn't to characterize every church or every single person who attends those churches, but just to give sort of a generalized picture. But I'd say that the general sense is sort of, you know, you show up on Sunday mornings and you go to church. And again, for many, that, that isn't like every week. That might be 50% of the time at a lot of churches and for a lot of Christians. But even if it is every week, okay, you show up on, on Sunday mornings and, you know, you walk in and, and, you know, you have your smile on your face, maybe wave to some people, hi. But, but in reality, you don't really know most of the people who are around. You know, maybe it's a sizable church. You don't really know them. And, and certainly there's some reasonableness to that. You, you know, it's tough to know everyone if you're at some huge church. But, but in reality, you really don't know very many people at all. You have your little, like, group of three or four couples or, or people that you know, and you know them well. And so maybe you go and you find your seat near them, and, you know, the service happens. And then afterwards, you talk for 15 minutes before you head out. You know, your little 15-minute catch-up. How are things going? Blah, 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 blah. Catch-up. Then, you, you know, you head out and go, go home. And for the majority of people, you then won't even see anyone else who's part of that family of faith until the next Sunday. A whole week's going to go by. You're not going to see them. You're not going to call them. You're not going to talk to them. And then next Sunday comes, and hopefully you see those four families that you know somewhat well, and you, know, you get to connect with them again. Now, for, for some, though, though it'll still be a minority. There might be a midweek small group, you know, something on Wednesday night. And there you get to, to see, you know, your small group, those other 10 people or so. And you get to connect with them a little bit further and engage in, in you know, a little bit deeper and further fellowship than just sort of 15 minutes after the service. But that's sort of an honest representation of your, your average American church. If we're going to be fair about it, that, that's sort of the reality. And you look at that and you say, that, that doesn't quite sound like a family. You know, I mean, imagine if a family sort of operated that way. Like you get together, have your like brief time together once a week, whatever day that is. And then you sort of scatter for the rest of the week. Like maybe I, I, a couple of us might see one another partway through the week, but probably we won't see you till the next, you know, the next week comes. That doesn't sound much like a family. That sounds like sort of, acquaintances or friends occasionally getting together and, and, and only in some small way engaging in life together. Again, if you look at the American church and that sort of picture that I, that I just sort of painted, doesn't really seem to match up with, with Acts chapter 2 here as we're reading about that church right there, right in the beginning in Jerusalem. Again, they don't sort of match up. It seems to be a very different picture of, of the church. And I'd say in general, the American church has sort of lost a sense of uh, of what the community life and the family life and fellowship ought to look like in the church. I think it's sort of a, a product of our culture. We're just the community in every sense, not just within the church, has sort of crumbled and become less and less. We're very independent, individual, individualistic, and, and there's just not much community, period, in, in our culture. And I'd say all too often we sort of bring that into the church, and the church looks like that in a lot of ways. Again, I think we're doing way better than that. You know, I think people engage in life in a far deeper and more significant way. Are, are, you know, even if you're not together in person, people are calling one another, how are things going? You know, I've been praying for you, blah, 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 blah. I think there's a lot more engagement in, in life together here at New Hope Chapel. But nonetheless, I can still look at the picture here in Acts chapter 2 and say, I'm not sure we're quite there. You know, that, that sort of seems like they're getting it maybe a little bit more than, than we are. And there's still a place to say, let's challenge ourselves to, to just look all the more like a family. Maybe not like good friends who hang out with one another and keep up a good bit. To say, no, let's really engage like a family and, and just be striving to grow bit by bit ever increasingly in regard to fellowshipping as the family of faith as we ought to. But now I want to move on to the, the fourth and last 
quality of, of, of a family that we're going to talk about. Again, I, you could come up with a fifth and a sixth and a seventh and, and go on and on, but I'm just sort of highlighting some, some major points. But certainly as you think of a family, one of the fundamental characteristics you're going to think of is love. This isn't like, you know, as we talked about, you know, members who've been brought together and united into, uh, you know, a single unit as we think of either a biological family or as you think of the family of faith. And they engage in life together in fellowship. But, but what that looks like is just sort of hatred or apathy. That's not what a family looks like. It's not like it's this singular unit with many members who just are disgusted with one another and can't stand one another. And there's nothing but hatred or maybe it's just apathy. No, if you think of a family, you think of, right, what, it's characterized by love. There, there's love present in those relationships. Yes, you have these members. They've been brought together, united into one body. They're engaging in life together, fellowshipping. And it's all characterized through and through by love. That's what it ought to look like as we think of a family. Now, certainly, uh, not every family perfectly lives that out. Again, I want to qualify that. I understand there are families that are sort of broken and divorces happen and, and you know, there have been fights and people don't get along. I get that there are going to be families like that, but nonetheless, your typical family, or at least thinking of the picture of what a family should be, it should be characterized by love. And that goes for the family of faith as well. Right, as we think of the church, this, this spiritual family that we are, everything that we do in every way, it should be characterized by love. And I want to read for us Jesus' own words, and this is from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, and it's verses 34 and 35, and I'll read it for us. And this is Jesus speaking again, and he's talking to the disciples, but it's not like this just goes for the disciples and no one else. Certainly this applies to, to all of, of God's people, to all Christians. And here's what he says, a new command I give you, love one another. And certainly as we think of love one another here, of course we are to love all people, but, but the special concern here is even within the body of believers. How much more so should we be loving one another within the church? Yes, we should be loving everyone outside of the church as well. But in a special way, as, as the family of faith, we're family, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We need to be loving one another. And so that's what's being spoken of here, especially love one another. And then we get sort of further clarification of, of exactly what this love looks like. And Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And we're, we realize, well, that, that's a tall order. This isn't some sort of, you know, halfway kind of love, or you think of sort of the world's version of love, which if we're going to be honest, the world's version of love that sort of typically lived out, uh, you know, all around us is kind of, I'll love you as long as you still serve some sort of purpose in my life. Like, just think of your typical marriage, worldly marriage. It's kind of like, as long as you bring me joy and you're satisfying some sort of need I have, then I'll stay married to you. It's this sort of selfish love, self-seeking, self-serving love. But suddenly, if it's like, you know, we don't get along as well, this is just tough, I'm not really feeling this anymore, then it's like, I'll, I'll get rid of you, wife, and I'll find a new wife that suddenly seems to, you know, serve me in the ways I want and meet those needs. Right? That's sort of the world's version of love, which is this selfish love. But realize that that's not the kind of love that's being spoken of when we're told to love one another. Because Jesus clarifies here and he says, this is the type of love I'm talking about. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then we realize and we think, well, okay, well, how has Christ loved us? And it's in this radical, self-sacrificial way, right? What did he do? He died. He went to a cross, 
right? He was nailed to that cross. He took our place. He, he took our sin. He took the punishment that should rightfully fall upon us. And he did this so that we might be forgiven and saved from our sin. And he did this all out of love for us. That's the kind of love that he had for us. That radical, profound, self-sacrificial, self-giving type of love. And Jesus says, yeah, that's the way you're to love one another. And that, that's, that's not easy. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, first of all, no one of us is going to live that out perfectly in this life. But even if we want to say, you know, where in our lives are we even sort of living out sort of a lesser shadow of that kind of love? And if we're honest with ourselves, the, probably the answer is not that often and not with that many people. Probably if we're honest, all too often our love sort of looks like the world's version of love, you know, where it's like, as long as there's something in it for me, as long as you're loving me and things are good, that, that, that's great. You know, that's wonderful and I'll love you back and, and that's great. But all too rarely is it that we're really living out this Christ-like love where it's sort of, even when you trample on me, even when you treat me poorly, even when there's nothing in it for me, you know, even when it's at great cost to myself, I'm just going to still love you and love you in this profound way just as Christ has loved me. Right? And so as we think about the family of faith, as we think about the fact that we're a family and, and thinking of these attributes of what does it look like to be the family of faith, love needs to be central. And again, it's not some low version of love. This is Christ-like love that we're talking about, following his lead. He set the standard of, of what real love is and what that looks like, and we're to follow his example. And, and we even if we back up to our passage in Acts chapter 2, we, we sort of get a glimpse. Again, not to say they lived it out perfectly, but I think they lived it out fairly well, and we get a picture of what this love looked like, even as we were reading this passage. I'll read for us verse 44 and, and, and on. Here's what it says. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Right? That's, that's real Christ-like love. Where, you know, someone you know, your brother or sister in the Lord, they're impoverished. They, they don't even have food or there's some sort of great need. And you say, man, I have some possessions. I'll, I'll just sell it and I'll give you what I get. And then you can buy your food and you'll be all set. He even says they had everything in common. It's sort of like, whatever I own, it's not really mine. It, 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 it's the Lord's and it belongs to, to the Lord. And, and however he wants to use it, if a brother has a need, the church has needs, whatever, it, you know, it's not mine. It, it, it belongs to, to the Lord and to his church, right? People didn't cling to their possessions, but rather they readily gave it away, sold it to meet any needs that were there in the church, right? That's Christ-like love, where even when there's a cost, very literally a cost, hey, I'm just going to go and sell my possessions. No big deal, right? That's the kind of love that they had for their brothers and sisters in Christ, where at the drop of a hat, they just give and give greatly in significant ways in service to their brothers and sisters, their family of faith. And again, I look at that and I say, is that something that your typical American church and Christians, is that sort of like mainstream in the church today, where people are sort of like, I'm just going to sell my house and buy a smaller house where I can live, or I'll just rent, and I'm just going to like give all that money to, to the poor people in church who have all these needs. I can't say that's something that I hear of like too often or even really like at all. You know, it would be awfully rare. And you know, it was just sort of like mainstream. That's, that's what the church did. They're a family, of course. And if you think about it, you start to think of, well, you know, might you do something like that for your own kids or, or people you sort of think of as family because they are your biological family. And I think, you know, the reality is we'd probably be a lot more likely to do that for our biological family. You think of your kids and what if, you know, your son lost his job and, and you know, like, what are they going to do? How are they going to pay the mortgage and the grandkids? Like, you know, how are they going to make it all work? You'd probably be a lot quicker to say, 
I can't sell my house. I'll just like rent a place or I'll just let them move in or in a radical way, you're probably willing to give. But I think, you know, when it comes to the church, we're a lot slower to do that because I think the honest truth is we view one another, even if we know we're family, we all too often view one another as good friends. And that's just a different class. That's just a tear down from we're family. Hey, if you need something, whatever it costs, whatever, whatever it takes, I'm there for you. I, I, you know, if I got to sell my possessions, I'll do it to meet your needs. That's what family does. But I think all too often the American church, even though we know we're family, we operate like we're good friends. Uh, and so I want to challenge us to really be the family of faith as we sort of come back big picture and, you know, think of, you know, what's our challenge? What's our takeaway here? Certainly, first and foremost, understand we are a family. I think that's probably not news for any of us here, but we truly are a family of faith. That's the reality of it. But then as we think of these different attributes that we talked about, you know, let's really be the family that we're called to be. Let's live out all that the church as this family of faith ought to be. Let's be united in every way. We are united as a body in Christ, but let's live it out. And, and again, I think we're doing well in that regard, but let's guard that unity. Let's make sure that we don't see divisions and strife, you know, start to take root and, 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 and fester and grow, but let's maintain that unity. Let's just enjoy the reality that we have this place to belong, to call home, this, this wonderful kingdom of God, that we have a home with the Lord, with his people, that, that this is just a place for us to belong, and just delight in that, rejoice in that, give God thanks for that. And as we think of the idea of fellowship, too, that as a family we're to live out fellowship, let's challenge ourselves to grow in that regard. Again, I think we're doing better than your typical American church, but say, hey, there's room for growth. Let's seek to engage in one another's lives more and just be that community, that family that we ought to be. And then thinking of, of our last quality that we talked about, thinking of love, let's seek to really grow in love for one another. I, I think this is a church that truly does love one another. I think love is very prevalent here at New Hope Chapel. I think that uh, more than other churches, we're, we're at least closer to seeing one another as truly family. Maybe we're like somewhere between the, the like good friends and family. Maybe we're not quite like Acts chapter two there, like we're family, we'll sell our homes or whatever to meet needs. Maybe we're sort of somewhere between, but I'd say let's just seek to continue to grow. Let, let's look at that, that church in Jerusalem there in, in Acts chapter two and see that kind of wondrous Christ-like love, love that we're, that we're called uh, to live out, that Christ himself commands us to live out that wondrous Christ-like love that we as his disciples, as his followers are to live out. Let's challenge ourselves and say, let's do it. Let's seek to grow in that. Every day, let's say, God, I, I know I'm imperfect in this area. I know I love people, but I don't love them perfectly, and I need to grow. I need to follow your lead more and more. Lord, just, just Holy Spirit, do your work within me. Grow within me the, this love for others, and, and may I live that out all the more faithfully within this body of believers and, and be a family as we ought to be. And, and as we really seek to challenge ourselves in this regard and say, we, we really want to be that church. We want to be that church that really operates as a family, that recognizes we're truly a spiritual family and to seek to really live that out. God's going to be honored. God's going to be glorified in that. And that's most important. But even just think about it, just, just think in terms of a biological family. When it operates in a healthy manner, all who are members of that family receive benefit from it. There's blessing for each and every one of them. When, when a family is sort of broken in many ways, there's hurt that is shared by all of them. And it goes, you know, the same way for a spiritual family. If we're going to seek to be healthy in every way, we're going to be blessed as a result, right? That's just the reality of it. If we say we're going to strive for this, we want to be that spiritual family that we ought to be, blessings going to come upon us as well. We should do it first and foremost for the Lord, but let's understand, man, we're going to be blessed as a result. And also, as we operate as that, that spiritual family that we ought to be, 
you know, the world's going to take notice. The reality is there are going to be people on the outside of, of the church who look and say, I still hate those people because they're Christians. But there'll be others who look and say, they're just different, those people. They're like a family and there's love and this fellowship and they have a place where they can belong. And I wish I had a place where I could belong. And there's just such unity in a world that's characterized by division in every way. And it's like, I just want some of that. What are you guys all about? What's different about you? Because there's just something so wondrous there that I want to be a part of. And as we live this out, it's going to be a powerful witness for Christ in the world as well. So let's do it. For the Lord, for his glory, no one will be blessed, but also to be a powerful witness for Christ in the world. And amen to that. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for making us a true spiritual family in you, Lord Jesus. What a, what a joy, what a blessing to have this eternal family that we will have forever and ever and ever through the ages into eternity. Such wondrous brothers and sisters to have you, Lord God, as our father, to be your children. What a joy to be members of your household. May we not take that for granted. May we just delight in it and rejoice in it and give you thanks for it. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to grow as a family. As every family has its imperfections and struggles and is broken in various ways that goes for your church as well we have areas where we fall short where we're broken and we pray that you would just grow us mature us help us to be holy spirit the family of faith that we ought to be may we grow in unity and fellowship and love may we just experience real belonging in the family of faith and just delight in it and rejoice in it in every way, may we honor you as your family, as the family of faith, as your children, Lord God. May we be blessed as we seek to live out all that we ought to be as the family of faith. And may it be a powerful witness in the world. May people really take note. May we live in a way that is so countercultural that it's like they could pick us out of a lineup and say, you must be one of those Christians because of the way you live, because of the way you operate, because you are this united family characterized profoundly by love. May we live that out and be a powerful witness for you in the world, in a world that desperately needs to hear the truth of the gospel. And may we just faithfully proclaim it and point people to you in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.